Lariat. Yes. Let's get into some abstractus. So Lariat, each week or most weeks, Mm. brings us a segment called abstractus. Lariat loves abstract games, and he is going to talk to you guys about abstract games in today's gaming world. I mean, sometimes this one's more. It's. I just think abstract games are interesting to talk about Mm -hmm. when all these other games exist because people still love them. They're still striking a chord. That's what I mean by in today's game. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, yeah. Know what I mean? Yes, exactly. Oh, I said it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Larry, take us through. Senate, tell me about this game because I want to know. All right, so um, this game is uh, Senate or Senat. There's a couple of, I mean, just depending upon how you translate yeah, it. Yeah. It is a very, very old game. It is Some people believe it is one of the first board games. So it is uh, really? prehistoric first dynasty of Egypt. So we're talking Circera 3100 B.C., 3500 B.C. is when they believe the first boards were put together they found in tombs. Okay. Um, so it is believed to be a big forerunner of backgammon. It's a race game. And uh, just to brief people on it, it's um, 30 squares arranged in the three rows of 10. And by the time of the New Kingdom of Egypt, viewed as sort of a metaphor for the journey of the dead. So it was pretty important to their, to them, you know, in their religion. Yeah. So you see these um, wonderfully ornate boards in the tombs of kings and their ivory and bone and wood that they wouldn't have had. They carried this stuff in and they, they really spent a lot of time on this, building this game. So it uses... Four, well, but they're not really sure. They found a couple of games that have actual knuckle bone, like what we would consider a D6, a six-sided die. But they mostly found um, they're two-sided dice. They're a, a piece of a stick, and it's flattened on one side. And it's about three-quarters of the circumference of the circle as it remains. So you have a pretty good chance of it rolling with the flat side up, but there's also some possibility of that flat side going down. And um, the fact that you're rolling dice to move, they considered it the determinant, the luck element, the deterministic nature of it as part of their religion. If you were good at Sinet, you were favored by the gods hmm. because you were just destined to <clears throat> make this journey. It's yeah. a symbolic journey into the, the land of the dead to, to do what they do at the end of their afterlife. They, their hearts were weighed against a feather by Thoth, and if they had enough... Um, you know, if their heart was good enough, they got to go to a heaven. So, anyway, this is the first board game I made myself. I made a nice cedar board for Sinet in high school for a project. We were doing some Egyptian history stuff, and I believe it was a reading class, an English class. But I built the board. It was really cool. Uh, it, sat on, it sat on tables and shelves looking good for a long time. And I actually, you know, one day was like, I wanted to play this. So, to me... This game is interesting in the same, a lot of the same ways that uh, Nefetalf is because we don't know exactly what the rules were. Yeah. We have pieces, and we have board, and we have some images in hieroglyphics of people playing it. So we know that there was these sticks were rolled to determine movement, but the boards are different. You know, in the First Dynasty ones, there's five to six pawns per player, and then later they start adding seven, eight, ten pawns per player. And there's only 30 spaces, so the board could get filled up really quickly. But my interest in it was... Basically, there's two big rule sets out there from which people derive their rules to play Sinet. That people still play this. And there's like apps. I have an app on my Kindle of, of Sinet. But it was really interesting because one person, his name is Kindle, he wrote this book from more of a historical context. He used context clues where they talked about this game in the actual Egyptian literature and stuff like that. To re- And it's in a book called Passing Through the Never- Netherworld, Playing the Game of Sinet. So his rules are kind of... Have you read this book? No. Okay. No, no. Um, His rules are more of a 
reconstruction of this allegorical game that they would have played symbolically. Gotcha. Um, and then R.C. Bell, this is sort of a, he's pretty instrumental in bringing a lot of weird, strange, far-off land board games to England, where he was from, and teaching people the rules and introducing them to these games. Okay. So whether or not, I mean, he his game is called the Board Game Book, and it's like 85 of these sorts of games huh. and variants. So his wasn't particularly about this one thing, but it was just included in there. Yeah, well, he uh, he, I mean, he played. Was it the biggest, most notable game in that book, or are there? Oh are... no, no, no! I mean, it's all classic games. I, I believe it's. I believe it would be comparable to like Hoyle's. <laughs> oh, okay, uh, gotcha. Card and game book, you know, lots of rules just collected for people to reference on rainy days or whenever. Huh. So his is meant to be more played like a backgammon variant, right? What you really, what really interests me is that games are a. Me- there's something people do for fun, and then there's games that people really invest themselves in. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can say, oh, well, my dad watches football, and he gets really angry when his team doesn't do good. <clears throat> but, like, if you think about stuff like the Mayan ball game, people lost, and then they got their heads cut off. <laughs> you know what I mean? They were – the game was allegorical in the same way that Sinet was, but it had potentially dire consequences for yeah. the losers. Games throughout history have always been invested with this, you know what I mean? Uh, even like the title of the Game of Thrones. It is a game to these people in a way, but they're using human lives. Yeah. So that's one of the really interesting things about games to me is that they can be fun and lighthearted and just a way to pass some time, or they could be literal matters of life and death. And this one wasn't so much, I don't think you Sinet was the game you played and then died, but if you weren't good at it or if you didn't have good luck, you were considered sort of, frowned upon but the gods weren't on your side you know what i mean so could have implications if you so were. did everybody have to try and play we have so little uh record i think it was a more of a courtly thing i, oh, mag- gotcha. I imagine they the lower classes played I, all the boards you hear about are from royal tombs first instance of weighted dice <laughs> right they, they uh they figured out how to yeah. to shave the side to make it a little easier to roll I don't know. You get into thinking about games in this context, like we only see the royal ones, like the ones that are in tombs. That were yeah, royal. yeah. But, but maybe there was uh, common versions, and maybe their play was more like R.C. Bell's rules. I just find it all very interesting, and I love the game. It's it's quite fun. So, yeah, tell us about the actual game and okay, how it so, plays. So it's, um, I said earlier, it's uh, three rows of ten uh, mm-hmm. squares, and the, they're typically ordered from top left would be one uh, across and down so you so left to right up to da- uh, top to bottom left to right and then down one row and then right to oh, left so like and then a down snake one snake pattern yes uh, an s a reverse s and um the last five if you order them in that way 30 25 through 30 have symbols on them on all the boards uh 25 has an onk and then the next one is a it varies a little but it's that pit it's like a bad place this is the waters like you don't want to be there okay and then the next three are, are labeled three two and one and you have to roll those numbers to get off in most most variations um so basically you start out kendall's rules he plays with seven pawns and you start with all the pawns on the board and alternating so like mine would be on one yours would be on two you know and then you're rolling these dice, and for every side that comes up, you move one, unless there are none of them up, and that would be five. So there's four dice and five potential rolls. Okay. So you would take turns moving. His has less fun, because there's no... If you can't make a move, for example, if someone else's piece there, you can't make the move. Oh, really? Um, okay. So it's kind of... It's it's not as fun to play. Yeah. But basically... But it's the more historical... 
Well, and see, even that, it's, he, he filled in a lot of the blanks because we have so little on this game. We have the board, and that's pretty much it. And they're a, a great variance of what the boards are. Yeah, but he was really interested in this game. Yes. The other guy was really interested in games. In playing game, yeah, in playing it. So this game basically is a, a race game, but you could definitely get stymied a lot just by luck in general, not necessarily by the other player. Like I said, the 25 has an onk on it, and that's the square of rebirth. If you make one of the rolls of five, I believe, you can jump there. And then the, the last three, you um, have to roll a three to get off of square 27, a two to get off of 28. So is this like having to go from one place and get all of your people like home almost? Yes, exactly. So, I mean, bear, this is you, almost like a ancient Parcheesi? Yeah, uh, it's a lot more people compare it to backgammon like a, f- a forerunner of modern backgammon okay. especially the way rc bell has it in backgammon you bear off to win you have to bear your pieces off and in a lot of variants you have to bear on too so you're bringing your pieces onto the board oh. and then bringing them That's off. kind of interesting yeah so in rc bell's version you play with 10 pawns each but you have to bear them on so the board starts empty okay you roll you place one and can you like jump though in that in his version there is that and if you hit a piece and they are past a certain point, I believe it's the midpoint, they go back to one or oh, back okay. to the earliest available space. If they're beyond that, I believe they go to the square of rebirth. Okay. So they, you can jump kind of ahead, and you could actually knock yourself out to throw yourself ahead. Hmm. So it, it's a lot more fun to play. I haven't played much with ten pawns. I, I usually play with five pawns because I play with the kids a lot. But uh, they, they find it pretty entertaining, and there's a really cool article on Board Game Geek about a guy who made a cinet board, and then he tried to show his son, and he had no interest in it. So then the guy goes back kind of to the drawing board, takes the rules that he has for cinet, and he themes it to where it makes sense, and it fits. So he makes one team penguins and one team uh, polar bears, and then, oh, these polar bears are trying to jump on the ice squares back to their home. But some of them are slippery, so one can't, he fit everything into the theme, and then his son just got it. You know, that's cool. Yeah, and um, this took some is, of the abstraction out of it. And yeah, and put a little theme to it. But I love games like this because they're in all games, really. Just like we were talking about earlier, viticulture. This guy had a problem with it. I mean, yeah, there's a problem. Mm, could be better. Yeah, it could be better. Is that a perfect solution? Maybe, maybe not. If you don't like something in a game, it is no business of anybody else what you do. If you don't like some particular card in something throw it away yeah or these are for fun you know i was recently listening to a podcast where they were talking about how they hate house ruling games they think the rules in the game should be perfect and i just don't get that thinking why can't you take a game that someone has made a game that fits your taste 95 percent yeah and go i'm going to change up this other five yeah. percent there's a scenarios wherein it's important to have a standardized set of rules in tournaments sure. and international mm-hmm. sort of settings and abstracts particularly are usually pretty tight on it, but I think you'll find there's also abstracts have the widest number of variations within a small set because people house rule and pu- because people or culture or a country or wherever this game travel to don't like some aspect of it, so they change it, and th- then it becomes its own thing. That's like going back to like almost being a kid, kid-like, which is so much fun. Yeah. Like, we would take any game we were playing and just make up whatever rule we wanted to. We would take our Legos and our army men and our monster in my pockets and make up a game. You yeah, know what I mean? and it was fun. It yeah. didn't matter. So I just, this game and having it around, having my kids play it with me. I love Egypt and Egyptian history, so it, it has that going it for it for me. 
the fact that there's no real rules that you can go back to and say, no, that's not right. You can't do that. As long as it's done equally by both players, there's no real wrong way. It's so cool that you were building game boards when you were that age. I mean, what age were you? We've known each other since I was 15 and you were 14, or maybe Um, 16 and 15. I want to say I made it when I was 16 or 17, Okay, but I'd been doing stuff like that for a while. I feel like I remember it. Yeah, every once in a while... If you're, I mean, if you know me, every once in a while you'll see something that I made. Like, oh yeah, my mom kept forever. I made a did a project on Dracula, and uh, we had to make a box, and it was like a shoe box, and it has to have five things in it from the book. Well, mine was so good, the teacher was like, "I want to keep yours to use as examples." Like, I made a little wooden box filled with earth, and that was the consecrated earth, and I made a wooden stake and a wooden crucifix and garlic beads and holy water vial. I think was the fifth one, but. I've always been a little bit crafty, but this was my first game that I remember making myself and wondering, who was the first person to play this? Yeah. Like, it connects you to the past. And all games, abstract games in particular, except for, like, a lot of gigamic games are new and have very different ideas, but most abstract games draw on some seminal game, chess or checkers or Moncala counting games or dice, you know, knuckle bones, some sort of rolling. I just love them for this kind of reason. They are so broad and so available you don't need anything to play this but paper pencil and maybe some counters yeah it's true man you're the guy that like i feel like you could really get into making some like sick looking print and play games or using that like linen finish for your cards that paper like the really high paper where you're cutting out the corners yeah and like making them really really smooth. doing the glue thing like yeah. rolling them and you've done some of that actually yeah a little bit and uh, like making your uh 1066 right yeah 1066 i posted pictures of that one on facebook and it, it and your nephitoffel board recently like yeah that's true too and i'm gonna i'll go home and i'll post pictures of my sinet board and so your chess can... table that you have like, oh yeah that well it's just a you're I built, awesome. <laughs> I built that table in shop, but it became a chess table. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, cool, man. Yeah. It's really cool. I wish I was that crafty sometimes. Well, I made a Bomb Squad print and play that was pretty nifty It one was. Time. That was a good one. Those chits. The perfect. Like, fu- just get, like, one of those pieces of, like, what? what is that? It's uh, just board, foam board, not foam board. But, like, really thin. Yeah, like, it's, it's not even foam board. It's, it, it almost looks like made. a piece of construction paper, but made out of foam. Yeah, like an eighth of an inch thick. Yeah. And like available in all kinds of colors and yeah, glued the shit, you know, squares to that. Man, it works so good as chits. They were perfect. I think yeah. that's would be the method if I have any games need chits. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So anyway, so Senate. Anything else about Senate? Uh, no, just uh, check out our Facebook page, and I'll post some pictures up, and y'all can okay. get a, a little bit more clear idea. How could people check this out? Where Where are the rules most widely available? Would you say the iPad uh, or like a actual an app would be the quickest, easiest way for them to go check it out? Uh, probably yeah, but um, just typing in Sinet is going to bring you up a lot of. A board game geek has a, a page about it with that article I was talking about and other people's rethemings and ideas about what the rules are. I mean, just games like this spark so much discussion because of what they are. Are the RC rules the ones you say are the more fun rules? Are they the most used, like in the apps and stuff like that? You know, I'd have to look or at... do the apps even, like, differentiate, like, these are the rules we used? I think that the app I have is sort of a proprietary set of rules that may be popular in Egypt. Gotcha. Because some of the text in the game is in a... I'm not going to speculate. It's some sort of Arabic script. I, don't, I can't read it. Okay. But um, I think that's where that app came from, is someone in that country actually playing that game, which okay. I guess they still play there, like, regularly, so... Yeah, this is like, it's a really interesting facet of games. Cool. So that is Senate Unabstractus with Larrick Gartman. Mm-hmm.